Amen and amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day, moms. Happy Mother's Day, moms. Amen. All right. Good to see all of you guys here. My name's Josh. Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 16 is our text this morning. And again, we are so thankful you're here. I'm the lead pastor, preaching pastor here at church. And we are so grateful that you have joined us this morning to worship God and read His Word and love Jesus and celebrate uh, all that He's doing in our lives. So we're going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 16 uh, together. So go ahead and open there. We'll start in verse 1. We'll read down through 16, and may God bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. Starting verse 1, that when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was speaking, hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. And they were saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we are hearing each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes. Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we are hearing them tell in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking, and they said, oh, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing amongst the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Praise God for his word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the reading of your, of your word. Lord, thanks for the singing of your people. It's so encouraging to hear worship go up to you, God. Hey, Lord, truly, you are our audience of one. Lord, we need you. We need more grace than we know. And so, God, would you come and speak to us this morning? May you reveal the beautiful and amazing gifts that you gave your church as she was born. And may those gifts resonate in our hearts in such a way that our lives would really change. God, I pray for anybody here that doesn't know Christ yet, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would awaken them to eternal life. That you would raise up their dead soul and mind and, and cause it to flame with light. And Lord, we pray for Christians, genuine believers here, that, that you might 
help them worship and stand in awe and have great joy in the Holy Spirit. Lord, give grace to our moms, encourage them, strengthen them. Lord, where would we be without our moms? God, may you do a great work this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing our sermon series called The Birth of the Church, and we are examining and looking at how the church was born, specifically um, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. How did the church get started? What was that all about? And we are looking at that this morning. So um, here's my sermon title. My sermon title this morning is this, The Essential Gifts for the Newborn Church. Essential gifts for the newborn church. Now, it's Mother's Day, and moms, let's just give every, every mom a shout out here. Moms are great at giving gifts, aren't they? So good, all right? You, you guys are so good at giving gifts, finding gifts, finding the right gifts, knowing exactly what everybody's thinking. When a mom gives a gift, they know exactly, like to the microscope detail, exactly what everybody needs and how much they need and what they need and when they need it. Guys, you're kind of a disaster. Amen? (laughs) Guys are just a disaster zone. We have no idea what to buy. We literally like try to go to a store and just figure it out. We don't wrap our presents. We put them in Target bags, maybe two or three, you know? (laughs) <laughs> we, we don't know what to do with cards. We barely know how to write. Guys just do a bad job, right? Because they just don't know. But, but ladies, you guys are incredible. You know exactly what every kid needs. You know exactly what every extended family member needs. You know when they need it and how much and what the budget is and all this stuff. And moms, we adore you. We exalt you this morning and we say yes and amen to your gifts. Now, I'm going to just give some some lists of gifts that could be meaningful, powerful, essential on Mother's Day. And if you're hearing this list and you're getting ideas, you're too late, okay? (laughs) If some of these ideas really resonate with you, you are in big trouble. So, Um, here's just some things that I saw, like the staple, right? The staple gift. We've got, um, essential oils. Can I get amen? All right. Essential oils. All right. If you want to heal the mom in your life, all right, three easy payments of $99.99 will get you essential oils. Get them on order now. You'll get them in a couple days if you have Amazon. Okay. Massagers, those are popular these days, right? Coffee mugs, of course, that say best mom ever or something like that. Jewelry, amen. Can't go wrong with jewelry. Blankets that are kind of custom or throw blankets or whatever. Um, Custom signs that mean a lot to her. Pictures, frame pictures, things like that. And of course, you have like the staple, which is flowers, right? So if you If you didn't do much else, you can always do flowers, gift cards, those types of things, okay? Now, these are essential. You're hoping with your Mother's Day gift, you're hoping that it's essential, that it's powerful, that it's meaningful. These are what you're hoping your gifts are. Well, if we can take that and transition it to the text of Scripture this morning, right? The big idea of the text this morning, the passage we're looking at is this. God is birthing his church in Acts 2. 
And he is giving his church essential, meaningful, and powerful gifts. And much more than Mother's Day, the birth of the church is a, is a signifier, a divine signifier from heaven that God is a gift giver and a very good one at that as he starts his church. Did you know God is a generous God? Did you know this? God is a giving God. God loves to be generous to his creation. So if you are being generous in your life, you are reflecting the good nature of God. And here's just a couple verses to think about. John 3.16, perhaps you've heard of it. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. How generous is our God? He gave his one and only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him might not perish, praise God, but have eternal life. What about this one? 1 John 3, 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. What is the gift of God in this text? What is the gift of God in 1 John 3, 24? It is the Holy Spirit being given, not just to come upon you, like the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon people, but now the Spirit of God will be with you and in you. That is the good news of the New Testament, is that the Holy Spirit is the essential, the primary, the meaningful gift of God to the church, especially as she was born. So, We can say, broadly speaking, that the Holy Spirit is the gift of God for the church as she is being born. But specifically, I want to ask and answer this question. What gifts did God give his church when she was born? What specific gifts are in the text of Scripture that God gave his church when she was born? I'm going to give you three. There's more. But for sake of time, we're just going to go through the three, all right? Gift number one is an empowered start. God gave the gift of an empowered start, verses one through three. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And then suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the whole house. Divided tongues as a fire appeared and landed on the rest and rested on them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 4. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the disciples of Jesus, if you remember, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come to them in John 16. So they are waiting for this promise. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus repeated the promise again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses for me to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Okay, so so they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. They're not exactly sure what this is going to look like, but they're praying, and they're waiting in an upper room. And they are, are doing this, and then all of a sudden, heaven literally came down. Heaven came down into this room, and glory filled the room. 
The glory of God filled the room. And I just want you to see right away, heaven came and a sound came and tongues of fire came. And I want you to see that God himself started his church. Who started the church? A bunch of men, right? Figuring out the organizational structures that they needed to do to be um, an organizational leader that would take over the world. Did man start the church? No. The testimony of scripture is that God himself intervened with powerful and amazing grace and he poured out his grace from heaven upon these men and women as they sat in that room. All they did was wait. All they did was pray. All they did was sit and let it be known. God started his own church. God started the church. Now, this is how the grace of God works. I want you to take note of it. God is always the one who reaches out to us first. Amen? God is always the one who reaches out to us. He always reaches out with grace. He always finds us before we find him. And he's reaching out with this powerful and amazing grace. And Ephesians 2, 4 through 9, if you've ever read Ephesians 2, you know that we're lost and dead in our trespasses and sins. And verse 4 is right there. But God... Because he is rich in love and mercy, comes and finds us. And every wicked sinner who's ever believed in Jesus can say a hearty yes and amen, right? You didn't come find God. God came and found you just like he found the disciples. And consider this, Philippians 1.6. Paul said this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you. Who began the good work? He did. He will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. How are you going to keep getting through your Christian life? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just keep going? Take all the glory because you're really strong and giving effort? No, that's totally lame. God started the work. God will carry you now and he'll carry you to the finish line. Praise Jesus. That is the truth of scripture. God started his own church. The day of Pentecost was the day. Now, What is the day of Pentecost? I'm going to give you the short little version. It's a very amazing time in a Jewish calendar. But the day of Pentecost, Pentecost literally means 50th, which means it happened 50 days after Passover. So 50 days after Passover is Pentecost. Pentecost is one feast or one gathering in the series of many gatherings in the Jewish um, calendar at that time. And you can read about the series, Passover, Pentecost, you can read about the other ones in Leviticus chapter 23. You want a great Mother's Day afternoon? Read Leviticus 23 and behold the power of the order of the feasts of God in Israel, right? Like I can't think of anything better on Mother's Day, though I'm sure Danielle can think of a few better things to do. But Jesus rose from the dead on when? On the first day of the week. Why do we meet for church on Sunday mornings? Why do we wait for the first day of the week? Because Jesus was resurrected from the dead on the first day. Amen? Why else do we meet on Sunday morning, the first day of the week? Why do Christians gather on that day? Because the day of Pentecost was the day of the birth of the church and it always lands on the first day of the week. 
So I don't know if you knew that or not, but we're walking in the historical reality of amazing grace. Even by coming together on Sunday morning, we come celebrating Pentecost every single Sunday morning. Praise God. So we celebrate on Sundays, and then these disciples are sitting in this upper room, and then suddenly, suddenly they get this loud sound from heaven, a mighty rushing wind. The word suddenly carries with it the element of surprise. That's what the word literally means. It means they were surprised. Suddenly, boom, all of a sudden they were sitting there waiting, and yet all of a sudden they were scared to death. It was a shock. It was an amazing um, shower of God's grace. So have you ever expected something but still been scared when it happened or, or spooked or shocked or surprised? Sure you have. This happened just this week. I had two friends. We were watching a movie. It was kind of a scary movie. And, and one friend was sitting up close to the TV and he was sitting next on his chair and he was watching and you could tell he was intense like he was like really into this thing. And it was, it was an intense movie. And, and another friend of mine got up and just kind of just acted like he was going to go get a drink, right? And so he kind of inches his way up to the front of the room. And, and all of a sudden, he's, you know, he's got a drink in hand. And all of a sudden, he turns and he goes, boo! And the other friend jumped literally four feet in the air. It was hilarious. <laughs> And the fact that it was closer to midnight when this happened was even more hilarious. We laughed for at least 10 minutes straight, like just laughing hysterically at our friend because that's what good friends do. They laugh at each other. Things like this happen. But now, was he expecting like an intense moment watching the movie? Of course. But did he expect the up-in-your-face scare tactic? No, he didn't. That's a vision or a, a picture of what the disciples were going through right here. They were expecting Pentecost to happen. They were expecting the Spirit to come. But when the Spirit of God came, it was so shocking, so amazing. The power of God came down and God showed once again that even though they were expecting it, He was in control. Did you know God is in control of your life? Like intimately in control of your life. And He's intimately in control of mine. I read this on Friday in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. It said, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. God, in his sovereign goodness, comes into that Pentecost room with this amazing, mighty, rushing wind. And what is this wind about? It, wa- it wasn't actually wind. It was like wind. So it, it felt like wind, but it wasn't actually physical wind. That is just for Iowans. Amen? Physical wind is just for Iowa. But the Pentecostal wind that came into that upper room, it sounded like wind But it wasn't wind. It was just the power of Almighty God. Now, my mom and dad just told me a story the other day. You remember that F4 tornado that came through Winterset and then it skimmed the south side of Des Moines about six weeks ago or eight weeks ago? Like my my mom and dad told me a story. That tornado literally was spinning one sixteenth of a mile from their house. They drove home right into the teeth of that tornado. 
They barely got into their house in time. They saw the tornado coming. They, they booked it into their garage, shut the garage door, got inside, and they said this. They said they heard the sound of a train whistle. They said it was just the loudest thing they could ever imagine. And it was the tornado's noise. It was the noise of the wind that was just outside their house. And I think that's a very small and pale testimony of what these, these new believers were experiencing, this, this first generation experience of Pentecost. It was like that. It was this reality that there's no wind going in the room, but there is a noise and it sounds like the power of a mighty wind. And it's the same thing with the fire. The fire of the tongues, it was like fire. It wasn't actually fire, but they felt like it was. And it was the power of God, the phenomenon of a supernatural tongue that God gave them. And it landed on the disciples individually. If you can imagine the power of that moment, it is unbelievable to think about what it would have been like to have been in that upper room. But the believers were baptized into the Holy Spirit. They were immersed into the Holy Spirit at that moment. No longer would the Holy Spirit only come on people, but now the Spirit of God would baptize them, come in them, be with them. And they started to speak in other tongues. This word is dialectos. It means real languages. They started speaking in real language. Now, I want you to understand they all started speaking, and this is a very unique experience in the life of the church. This is not normative. This is a very specific moment with a very specific group of people for a very specific purpose, okay? There's a lot of Christianity brands out there that will say, you know what happened in Pentecost in Acts 2? That needs to happen in your life right now. And you need to experience the fire of God and the wind of God in your life. And you need to be baptized with the Spirit so you can speak in tongues and you can do all that. I am telling you that our position as a church is that that is not normative for the Christian life. That is a very specific and special thing that happened in the first generation with those early Christians. And we look at it with awe and wonder, but we also say that's not normative. That is very specific to them. Let me balance it out really quick and finish this point. In our modern day, we do experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, though. You need to understand this. We do experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit when a sinner comes to faith in Christ. You get baptized into the body of Christ. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says it this way. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. See that? We are all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slave, free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. Galatians 3.27 says it this way. For many of you, as we're baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So this, this powerful reality of the gift of God is the baptism of the Spirit. When you become a sinner who is repenting of your sin and getting saved, you are baptized into the body of Christ. Aren't you glad? Amen. That's awesome. That is amazing grace. You are baptized with the Spirit into Jesus' body. That happens every single time someone puts their faith in Jesus. What a gift from God. What an empowered start 
to the church. The church had power from on high when it was born. Second gift. The second gift of God for his church is a clear baptism, verses 5 through 13. A clear baptism, verses 5 through 13. Now, look with me in verse 5. They were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men, Jews from every nation under heaven. And each one of them, verse 6, was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were saying, are not these all speaking Galileans? How are we hearing them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, and on and on the list goes. We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And they were amazed, perplexed, and they're saying, what does this mean? But then others were mocking, saying, ah, they're drunk, they're filled with new wine. So you can see this clear baptism happening. Okay, devout men, there's a big crowd that, that came to where the disciples were. Because of what? Because of the noise. The noise was so loud that they all came to hear what this noise was about. Who was in the crowd? Devout men. The word devout means careful. They were careful Jews, careful converts from all over the world, from east to west and north to south. They came from every direction. Pretty amazing. And they were hearing the disciples speak in their own languages. This is incredible. These tongues were real language, not gibberish. Dialectos is real language. At least 15 people groups were surrounding the apostles. And then the, the crowd is confused, and they're looking at the guys talking, the people talking, and they're like, wait a minute. Are these not Galileans? Like, like look at what is happening here. Now, Galileans, that term is a slang term. That is not a compliment. That is an insult. Are these not, think about it this way, they were saying, are these not the hicks from the country? What are these country hicks doing here telling us about God? Like, like who in the world is, is allowing these uneducated men to come in? And we're hearing them speak in our own language. So they were shocked that they were hearing them absolutely translated perfectly hearing languages. Okay? Galileans were not known for their language learning. They're much like Americans, right? We, most Americans know like one language, right? The world, they all know six or seven, right? But we Americans were like, whatever, we're sticking with English, amen? Like, that's what we're doing. But listen, like, that's how the Galileans were viewed. They were viewed as like, well, they're not really language learners, but all of a sudden, what is this amazing thing? We are hearing language clarity, Communication clarity, remarkable realities that I am hearing them perfectly in my language right now. Talk about the amazing works of God. I have no idea how this is happening. Now, I, I can relate to this because we have done live translation at this church. Right? We have done it in the past. We're, I'm hopeful we'll do it again in the future. But Cole Albright and others can tell you, Lawrence Michelson could give testimony to the reality of how messy live translation can be. Because when we were doing live translation, we were going from English to Spanish, okay? English to Spanish. So I would take my sermon outline and I would translate it through Google Translate, of course, right? And then I would send off the translation to the translation guys and they would look at it and they would be horrified at what Google Translate did to the Spanish language, right? 
And they would say, oh my goodness, this is not right, and this is not right, and this is not right, and this is bad, and that's not going to translate, and this doesn't work. And so then they would take that, and they would mark it all up, and then they would practice, right, and go through the sermon itself so that the live translation would be okay with people who were listening in their ears for the live translation as I preach. And then they would have to follow me as a preacher, and all God's people said, that's ridiculous. Because I will just sometimes talk and use words that I feel God wants me to say. And they're like, you, that's not on the outline. And you did that and this and this thing. And so at the end, especially as we began this whole journey, at the end of the morning, it would be like, oh my God, I hope we got 50% you know, to, the, to the people that were listening in their ears, the Spanish sermon. I hope we got 50%. And by God's grace, we went from really terrible to mediocre. Amen. I say all this to say that's one language. We're we're working really hard to translate it. We're trying to get it so that it's coming in your ears and you're hearing Spanish while I'm preaching English and it just makes this text come alive. Because you have over 15 people groups all coming together at one time. They're hearing from uneducated Galileans and somehow God through the power of the Holy Spirit is causing their words to be supernaturally perfectly translated so that it's understandable so that the gospel goes north, south, east, and west and people can believe in Jesus. How amazing is that? The baptism of the Holy Spirit was producing clarity in the speaking and the hearing of the gospel. And I just want you to note this in your, in your mind This is not meant to be a full treatise on the gift of tongues. This is not a sermon series in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. This is not a full and final treatment of the charismatic movement. That's in a different sermon series. But what I'm saying this morning in this text right here, this text is a contrast to the pervasive charismatic theology of our day. It just is. Because this is languages, real dialectos being translated by the Holy Spirit through power. Today's tongues movement in the country and America and in the world is generally mumbling gibberish that is not interpreted accurately, if it's interpreted at all. And so I want you to, to hear me today. Today's tongues experience has a lot of individualistic, ecstatic experience without a lot of Bible interpretation without a lot of real interpretation of the tongue. And there's a lot of these things going on. And I'm just telling you, that's not the experience of the text. The text in Acts says that biblical baptism of the Spirit always provides clarity, not confusion in the worship gathering. So if you're really experiencing the baptism of the Spirit or the Holy Spirit's filling in your life and you sense that God is here, it should lead to clarity, not confusion, in your mind, heart, and soul. So, there's a lot more to say about that. But I want to just express to you the the, the heart of the text. The power of the Holy Spirit came and supernaturally empowered and translated languages so that the gospel would go out clearly to all tribes, tongues, and nations. Praise God. And what we need in our churches today is clear 
a baptism of the Spirit, a clear communication of the gospel, a clear experience of the gospel, what it means to be saved. And we want that to happen for every tribe, tongue, and nation. But it is the Holy Spirit who helps translate. He helps translate into your hearts and minds what the word is being preached. And that is a gift from him, a very clear baptism. The third gift is bold preaching. The third gift that God gives to his newborn church is bold preaching. Verses 14 through 16. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and he addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Peter is standing. I want you to see that. He's standing with the eleven. He is standing up to preach. The fact that it is Peter standing to give the first sermon of the church's history has to bring so much joy to Jesus. Because it is Peter who denied Christ. He denied Jesus to his face. Their little slave girl comes up and says, hey, I think you're a follower of him. He's like, no, I'm not. He swore it off. I'm not, I'm not a follower of Jesus. And you know what? In Luke's gospel, it says that Jesus looked directly into the eyes of Peter and they met eyes. And Peter ran away weeping bitterly. Peter also walked away from Jesus after the, the burial. He's like, hey guys, I'm going to go fishing. And everybody's like, okay, I'll go fishing with you. And off he goes to continue his profession, his fishing, and Jesus had to go find him and pursue him and restore him. Peter also questioned Jesus right after his restoration. He questioned Jesus when Christ said, you're going to be crucified, you're going to suffer for my name. And Peter looks around like, what about John? What about, you see that John guy? What about him? What do you mean I'm going to suffer? What about that guy? And Jesus said, hey, what I do with John is my business. That's not your business. You follow me. Peter's kind of a mess at times. But it is in God's good grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit that Peter is preaching the first sermon of the church. He's totally new and he's transformed. What happened to Peter? How does he go from running away to standing and delivering the sermon? It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit that is empowering Peter to preach. How awesome is God's word that he would allow this story of grace to find its way to us this morning. Because Peter would go from denier to proclaimer. Jesus, Peter would go from fleshly to spirit-filled. And Peter would go from impulsive to unflinching. Peter would be transformed. I look around this congregation at 8.30 and now at 10, and I would say, how many of you is that as your story? It's all of our story. If you know Jesus as your Savior, on some levels, you are Peter and Peter is you. There was a moment when you denied Christ with your life, you walked away from Jesus with your life, and now by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit has come inside you and dwells inside you, fills you, and now moves you to preach the gospel where you would normally not share the gospel with anybody. You used to live for yourself. Now through Christ, you live for Jesus. You used to not be bold when you're witness. Now you share Jesus all the time with people. What is this amazing transformation in the church? It is the baptism and filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives still today. 
And then he lifted up his voice. He raised the volume. That's literally what it means. He lifted up his voice and he said to them, he declared, Peter was there to preach. Peter was in front of this crowd to preach. He was excited to preach. Romans 10, 15. How are they to preach? Unless they are sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Peter is there to proclaim the truth of God. Peter is there to give people the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. God's gift to the church is preaching. And I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit of God is filling Peter to preach. The beginning of the church is blessed by God toward the preaching of the word of God. Preaching should be the main gift of the church today and forevermore. Amen. And I'm, I'm telling you this because I love to preach. You're like, well, yeah, you're the preacher saying that it's important to preach. Yes, I am. I am. I am saying that absolutely. You're like, well, that's job security. Sure, whatever you want to say. God commands people to preach the word of God. And I will preach to my dying day. I love counseling. I love evangelism. I love small groups. I love Bible studies together. I love to preach. I love to preach. And I'm saying, well, why, why do I love to preach? I don't know. God gifted me to do it. I'm just doing what God gifted me to do. He called me to do it. And I'm telling you, there is nothing greater in the world that the church needs today than strong, bold preaching. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it, Cody. You can have some candy on the way out. Even... <laughs> yeah. But listen to what Paul told Timothy. 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word. Bring the word of God. Whether it's easy or hard, preach the word. The church needs the word. The community needs the word. Right? Our culture needs the word of God proclaimed without shame or apology. We need the word of God. What about this? In 1 Corinthians 1.17, the Apostle Paul said it this way, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, let the cross of Christ be empty of its power. It's my prayer. Oh man, it's my prayer that God would raise up even amongst our congregation preachers. Just preachers that can preach. We need proclaimers of the word of God. And you're like, well, I don't know if I can ever get up on stage. I don't care. I don't care if you, I'm not saying you got to be on stage. I'm saying you got to proclaim the word of God wherever God gives you the opportunity and do it boldly with joy. Don't get fired, praise God. Don't get fired from your job. But proclaim the word. We need more preachers, proclaimers. And Peter said, let it be known to you. Give ear to my words. Let it be known to you. Give ear to my words. In other words, listen up. Listen up, crowd. Peter appealed to his audience based off of emotion and content. He was emotional. Why, why was he emotional? Well, the Holy Spirit had brought the illustration, right? They always tell the preacher, you should have an illustration at the beginning of your sermon. Helps people come into the sermon, you know? 
How, what was Peter's illustration in this text? I don't know. A mighty rushing wind? Fire dividing all over into the mouths of other Christians? I mean, everybody was buzzing about what is going on here. And Peter said, emotionally, I'm asking you to listen to me so that I can tell you what's going on. But he was also giving a message of content. Verses 17 through 41 is just content. Here's the gospel. It's coming straight at you, which I will get to next week. I can't cover the content. Peter can do all this in like 20 minutes. I don't know how he does it. It takes me like weeks to get through this. But Peter says, look, I'm going to give you an emotional appeal. I'm going to give you content, the message of the gospel. But listen to me. He reminds us of John the Baptist. John the Baptist sitting in that Jordan River in his camel skin. And, and he's, he's eating grasshoppers and honey and he's doing all these things for God, and he looks at everybody and they're like, well, who should we say you are? And he says, I'll tell you who I am. I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm crying out. Make straight the way of the Lord. John the Baptist was a preacher. Jesus was a preacher. Peter is a preacher. The church has been full of preachers for 2,000 years. And may God give us a revival in preaching, bold gospel preaching. It's a gift to his church. So as we close it up and as we respond to God, you're going to get a couple minutes just to respond to the Lord. If you look at the amazing gifts of God to his church, you have incredible power on display. From heaven, empowering the church to be a bold witness for Christ. You have bold preaching, incredible preaching. And then you have the supernatural translation happening through tongues. And I would say the same God that we worship in Acts 2 is the same God of today. The Holy Spirit is very much at work in this place. So what are you going to do with it? If you're a Christian, what are you going to do with the Spirit of God and how He's working in your life right now? What's He saying to you? What's He calling you to? What's he, what's he imploring you to do with your life? What is He calling you to do? Deepen your soul to be a disciple for Jesus. For some of you, you need to be open to His calling and say, I'm open and I'm ready. Spirit, you're welcome here in my, in my heart, in my life to fill me and, and take me on mission. For others of you, you're here and, and you just don't know Jesus yet and the Holy Spirit is, is causing you to wake up for the first time. You're lost in your sins. You're not, you're not accidentally going to end up in hell. You're sprinting towards hell. You're sprinting towards your own sin, your own desires. It's dark in your life. You're, you're sad. You don't know what's going on in your life. And I'm just telling you, you're lost and you need Jesus. And some of you need to get saved. You need to ask the convicting work of the Holy Spirit to have its full effect where you would repent and believe in Jesus. So I don't know how we're responding, but my, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would have freedom in this room right now to do His good work and give you some good gifts. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the Word of God. Thank You, Holy Spirit, for what You did at Pentecost coming down like wind and fire 
changing the trajectory of people's lives, like changing their hearts and mind and sealing them with the salvation that is in Jesus. Lord, thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work. Thank you for the power that is still available to us even this morning on Mother's Day. It's available. So Lord, I don't know what you're calling people towards. Maybe it's bold preaching, bold proclamation. Maybe it's supernatural witness where you're just translating things and amazing stuff is happening. God, whatever it is, would you just have freedom now to just do your good work and help our hearts be open. And Lord, save someone if they're not saved. Lead them to forgiveness, repentance, faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of the world. God, do your work. Help us respond well in Jesus' name.